You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. For so many, we know these songs of the cross, and we know the story of the cross. But I guess for so many also, that's all it is. It is is just a story. And we don't comprehend fully enough that Christ came to die on a cross. Why was it Jesus? Why did he come? For whom did he come? And what did he accomplish on his cross? You'll find a seat and turn with me to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 4. I want us to see together this morning why it had to be Jesus. To to know once more the story of the cross and not just a story, but the purpose and what what happens. So Galatians chapter four is where we'll be. And I encourage you to open up your copy of God's word. If you forgot a copy of God's word, you can share with someone who is seated next to you. Once you find Galatians four, let's go ahead and open it and keep it open for the remainder of the morning. Galatians chapter four, beginning in verse one. It kind of sounds like Paul is going to start off in the middle of a thought. It's because he's starting off in the middle of a thought. Here we are, chapter 4, verse 1. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians. He is under managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But, this is a good but, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And ladies, please read into that for you, daughters. You see, before Christ came for the nations, we weren't sons and daughters, we were slaves. We were slaves, it says here, to, to the law. And, and the law is a brutal and cruel taskmaster. We can try our hardest to do all the good we can do, and it doesn't really match up at all. Not only is the law a, a cruel and brutal taskmaster, it is also our executioner. The law leads us straight to a death sentence. Straight to the gallows, straight to our eternal death. Why then, if if the law is such a cruel taskmaster for us, why is it that that God gave the law? That's the first question I think we need to answer this morning because there's so many statements in in Galatians chapter 4 about the law. We saw in in verse 4 that Jesus was born under the law, that you and I were were born uh, under the law. We were under the curse of the law. So here's my question for us to consider this morning. Why does God give the law? If it is such a, a, a terrible thing on the outside... Why would God issue the law to us? And if you've been around church for a while, you've heard that phrase, the law. And we kind of wonder, what what exactly does that mean that Jesus came to fulfill the law, to be the completion of the law? What does that mean? Let me give you a couple of things this morning. You can consider with me. You can write down. Let's just kind of understand this together as God's people today. Why does God give the law? Number one, to define sin at its broadest level. You see, everyone in this house, we were born with some kind of compass. We, we kind of know what's right and kind of know what's wrong. And we have some things in, in, in your life and my life that are wrong. Some things in your life and my life that, that, that are right. 
The problem with, with a compass that we all have, a moral compass that we have, is that it defines sin at an individual level. My compass might look a little bit different than your compass. But when God gave the law, he defined sin at its broadest level. In other words, now that we understand in, in God's word and God, from God's heart what, what is wrong, what is sin, there is now no doubt. There is also now whatsoever, there, there is no ignorance of the law. We, we can't plead ignorance. We can't say, well, I did not know because God through his law, especially the Old Testament, has defined for us at the broadest level, the broadest definition of what sin is. Now you may consider that for a second and go, man, what a cruel God. And I would say, no, what a kind God. How fearful would it be daily for you and I to live our lives and wonder if we have offended God? What kind of fearful lives would we, would we lead if, if we were uncertain what, what the rules of God were and how we were breaking it, if we were breaking the rules of, of God? So the law is a good thing. It defines for us at the broadest level, the broadest definition of what sin is. Here's the second thing. Why does God give the law to show that sin is an act of willful rebellion? This is why God has given us the, the law. The law showed us that we were committing high crimes against God by our own choice, by our own will, by our own volition. One does not rebel by accident against a law that is clear. One does not rebel by accident against a law that is clear. And so we see now, because of Scripture, because of the Old Testament especially, the sin is an act of willful rebellion. We have made the choice to break the heart and to break the law of God. Why does God give the law? Here's the third thing, to affirm that after violating it, we are under a death sentence. This is what the law is telling us over and over again, that by violating the law, by violating the rules of God, we're under a, a death sentence, that there's death because everyone is a lawbreaker. And scripture tells us there's a penalty. In fact, I'm going to ask for some of y'all to complete this sentence for me. If you grew up in church, you probably will know the answer to this. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is... If your neighbor called out the wrong word, it's death. That's what they're supposed to say. That's the wages of sin. That's the penalty of our sin, of knowing God's rules, of knowing God's law, and breaking God's law by our own volition, by our own will, our own choice. Now, after violating it, Scripture says that we are under a death sentence. But here's the fourth reason. If you're looking for some grace this morning, here it is. Why does God give the law? To demonstrate that the law could not save, but faith in Christ could. This is what the law over and over is telling us. The law can't save. The law can't redeem. The law can't rescue. The law's not going to pay the ransom. The law's not going to bleed out, but faith in Christ could. The law was in effect from, from the time of Moses. And the Jews, the Israelites, they, they could not keep up with it. They said they could. In fact, they took a blood oath back in Exodus chapter 32 saying, oh God, we're going to follow all your laws all the days of our lives. And how quickly they went wholesale to idolatry. How quickly they broke every point of the law. This is a great sermon to preach while it's thundering outside, by the way. <laughs> how does God use the law? If he gave us the law, how is God himself going to redeem the law? If he gave us the law, how is he going to use it? Here it is, and this is good news. The law drives us to Jesus. The law moves us. It pushes us to Jesus. What the law could not do, Christ has done. 
The law drives us to Jesus that we can find in Christ by faith and faith alone in him. Redemption, rescue, forgiveness, grace, and adoption into his family. Adoption is at the core of the story of the cross of Christ. Adoption is at the core of the story of the cross of Christ. Let's see it unfold this morning in such a way, I pray that we see the love of God in a new and fresh way. Maybe the love of God in a way that you have never seen the love of God before. Let's see how the God of the universe, the creator of all things, has a desire to adopt us. This is why Christ came for the nations. God's adoption, and we see it mentioned here in chapter four, is one of the most beautiful and powerful themes in the New Testament. I think that in essence, I could boil down Romans and Galatians and Ephesians to this one thought. He chose us so that he could adopt us. God chose us so that he could adopt us. At the very basic definition of adoption, it is choosing someone else to be in your family. It's different than birth. In birth, you just get whatever shows up, right? Oh, good. This is my baby. Awesome. Adoption is I would like this person to be in my family. In fact, go a little bit deeper into adoption. Adoption is someone who belonged to another family is now a part of your family. They have been brought in from another family and this is the good news of Jesus Christ. God chose us to adopt us and pulled us out of another family. What is that family? The the family of of, of slaves to the law. The the family of those who who belong to the world, who were were under the weight, we'll see here in a second, under the weight of, of sin, under the weight of enslavement. We once belonged to to the family of law slaves. And let me just tell you, Highland, had we stayed in that family, the family of law slaves, permanent separation from God would have been our lot. I'll be more clear. Hell would have been our lot. Had God not rescued us out of the family of law slaves and brought us by faith and faith alone in Christ and Christ alone into his family. Let's go back to God's word. Galatians chapter four, verse one. I I mean here that the heir, as long as he's a child, really is no different whatsoever than a slave. Even though he's the owner of everything, but, but he is under the guardians. He is under the managers until, this is really important, until the date set by his father. Here's what Paul is saying. Really, a child is like an heir. He may even be an heir, but he doesn't own anything. I mean, his father owns everything, but the child does not own anything at this point. In fact, he's really no different, Paul says right here, than a slave. And then Paul goes on to say, this kid is under the weight of managers, is under the weight of, of guardians. The, the, the kid doesn't tell the managers what to do. The, the managers tell the kid everything to do. So this kid is constantly underneath this, this weight. They're constantly enslaved to the one who is over them until when? What does your Bible say? Until the date set by his father. The father of this child, the father of this heir, the father of the one who is under the weight of the management, who's under the weight of the guardianship. 
So that enslaved child under that weight is just longing for a date that his father's gonna set when the father's gonna say, you're now free. You're now, under, now no longer underneath the weight of the guardianship, now no longer under the weight of the management. This child, this heir is just waiting for the day the father would say, you're no longer a slave. Verse three, in the same way, so now Paul's gonna move from illustration to application. Verse three, in the same way, we also, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. What are the elementary principles of the world? Well, if your Bible's open, this isn't on the screen, if you'll kind of cast your eyes down to verse nine of chapter four, it tells us two things about the elementary principles of the world. Number one, they're weak. Second word it says here, they're worthless. They're the weak, worthless things of, of, of this world. And we were enslaved to weak, worthless things. These are things that held us captive under the weight of these things until the father at the right time sent the son, Jesus Christ. Now that word right there, elementary principles, uh, in Greek is actually one combined word. And the word is stoikeion. And stoikeion means one thing after another or something in sequence. Um, Stoikeion would be one, two, three. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. A, B, C, or in Greek, alpha, beta, gamma, whatever language it is that, that you speak. It's just those things in sequence, and it means, again, literally, just one thing after another. So what Paul is saying here is before Christ, before God sent forth his son, we were underneath the weight of just one thing after another. We were under the weight of, of the management of just one thing after another. And there's actually a list of all these elementary principle things. We don't have time to turn there today, but it's in Colossians chapter two. So let me just kind of read for you all the things, Christian, that we were under before God sent his son. Deception, tradition, rules, appearance, addiction, self-sufficiency, mistakes, selfishness, godless ideas, false humility, just one thing after another. One, two, three, in sequence. We were under all of these things, under all of this weight. In other words, these things had piled on on top of us and they were ruling us, they were managing us, they were pressing us down. This is the weight of being a part of a law slave under the weight of the law. So look at verse four, because verse four is the beautiful part. But when the fullness of time had come, but when the fullness of time had come, this refers back to verse two, when the father has set a date, verse four, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Verse four, this is what we were waiting for. This is what our hearts were longing for. This is what the nations were desiring. That the father would set a time and send his son. This is the turning point of scripture. This is the turning point of all history. The time had fully come. You see up to this point, the Old Testament, two thirds of the Bible was a reminder to all of us in this house today that over and over and over again, we could not match up. Over and over and over again, we could not be religious enough. We could not be good enough. We could not be spiritual enough. We could not do enough good things to somehow win the favor, win the merit, win the grace of God. But when the time had fully come, the Old Testament picture begins to open up to see the stage was set in the Old Testament for the right time, for the fullness of time, 
for the time set by the Father when Christ would come for the nations. Look at verse four. And when that date came, what does it say here? The Father sent forth his Son. That is beautiful language. The Father sent forth his Son. The Word became flesh. The Son of God became the Son of Man. The son of the most high became the son of the most low. And this is what it says right here. He was born of a woman. Jesus had to, had to be God to have the power to conquer sin, but he had to be a man in order to take our place, in order to take sinner's place. He was born under the law. This is interesting. Born of a woman, born under the law. Jesus came and subjugated himself to the, under the law. He placed himself under that weight. He placed himself underneath that guardianship of of the law. Now, why did he have to do this? So that he could live the perfect life that you and I could not live. And after living this perfect life underneath the weight of the law, he never broke the law. He was tempted and yet he was without sin in every way. As he lived his life under the guardianship and the weight of the law, he lived the perfect life so that when he went to the cross, he might break what C.S. Lewis would call the deeper magic of the law. When he went to the cross, he broke the power of the law. Verse five, here's the why of the cross. Why? To redeem us. To redeem those here, here at Highland today who were constantly under the law, weighted down by all the management of the law, one thing after another, Christ has come to redeem us from under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters of God. We were under sin, we were under the law, we were under the weight of, of the management of, of, of sin and the law on our lives. And then Jesus with blood currency bought us, paid for us, went to our cross to bring us into the family. So I would like this morning to wrap up Galatians chapter four with these statements. And in these statements, I pray that this morning you and I begin a journey to the cross, to the tomb, and to an empty tomb, the resurrection. With these statements, I would like to remind all of us in this place today the power and the beauty and the simplicity of the gospel. And here it is. You might want to write these things down or memorize these things or wrestle with these things. But I'd like for you, encourage you to consider at minimum these things with me from Galatians chapter four and the good news of Christ. Jesus lived a perfect life which is credited to our account. We lived an utterly sinful life that was credited to his. That's what we bring into the equation. Our utterly sinful lives. Jesus lived a perfect life in all ways that's credited to our account. We lived this sinful life, utterly sinful life that was credited to his account. In other words, he took my sin and I took his righteousness. It's the most upside down, scandalous transaction in the history of the world that I would give him my sin and you would give him your sin And out of his love and his perfection, he handed back to you his righteousness. Or if you want to consider it this way, just his rightness. 
It's an unbelievable first step to the cross, an unbelievable first step to understanding the gospel. Here's the second one. It's very easy. Christ took our place on the cross. You see, Jesus, he he died for our sin. He is our substitute. He dies on our cross. He pays the penalty for our sin. He takes our punishment. He crawled up on a tree to pay for the weight of all the sins in my life and yours multiplied for all of eternity. He took our place. He took our cross because someone, Highland, someone had to pay up. Someone had to absorb the wrath of God. And Jesus took our place. Here's the third thing. Here's where forgiveness and grace steps in. So when we trust in Christ, our sins are buried under the mountainous weight of God's grace. When we are in Christ and we put our trust, our faith, our sin into Christ, he buries our sin under the mountainous weight of his grace. Looking for a practical application? Don't go digging around for your dead sins. They're gone. Don't resurrect or attempt to resurrect what God has already crushed in Christ Jesus. Our sins are buried under the magnificent weight of the mountain of God's grace. But listen, Jesus, he didn't stop there. Let me illustrate. You've broken the law. You've lied or you've cheated, you've stolen. You went 115 miles an hour in a 65 mile an hour zone. Whatever it is, you have broken the law. And so you stand before the judge. And listen, Highland, the judge rightly calls you guilty. This is justice. I mean, this is right. This is the law. But in that law, there is an understanding that someone else can pay for your penalty or can be your substitute. They can pay the financial payment that needs to be made or they can take the days or the years of incarceration. In essence, they do become your substitute. So this happens in the court. You are guilty and it truly, you are guilty. And someone steps up to the plate and they pay for the, for the penalty of your sin and you leave that courtroom and go to the street to no one, no family, no home. No one is perfectly present. No one is perfectly yours. No one is perfectly love. And we'd still have a a sense of gratitude for this one who stepped in as our substitute. But what if you walked out of that courtroom and you ran into the judge and he runs toward you and embraces you and takes off his robe and wraps it around you and says, your family, my home is your home, my inheritance is yours. 
Would you come to my house? Would you be in my family? Would you be my son? Would you be my daughter? How much more intense of gratitude and thanksgiving would well up in us in that situation? It was enough that we had been forgiven. It was enough that we had been called innocent because someone else stood in our place. And now this judge would take off his robe and call us into his home and call us into his family. This is the beautiful picture of the gospel. So you were taking notes this morning. Here it is. Then Jesus brings us into his father's family as daughters and sons. And I don't know about you, I would have worshiped God for all eternity that he took my place. I would have worshiped him for all eternity that he took my sin and I took his righteousness. I would have worshiped him for all eternity to know that my sins were buried underneath the mountainous weight of the grace of God. But then he says, come into my family. Let me be your father and let Jesus be your brother. He chose us to adopt us. The God of heaven and earth stood and said, I will not abandon you into the weight of your own sin. And then the son, Jesus Christ, he stands and he says, I will do whatever it takes. I will even give my own life that they might be called into my dad's family. I have the qualifications and I will lay it down on the cross for them. This Highland is love and grace and the good news of Jesus. He came for the nations. 